patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We don't always know what's best for us. Oftentimes we think we know what's best for us. We think we know what will make our life better, what will make us truly happy. But we don't always know. I want you to think a little bit. Think back over the history of your life, kind of the landscape of your decision-making up until this point, your making of plans. Was there ever a time where you were 100% convinced that is, this thing or this plan, this decision would happen the way that you wanted it to happen, that your life would be better, that you would truly be happy. I'm going to date that girl. I'm going to marry that guy. I'm going to buy that house. I'm going to take that job. I'm going to make that deal. I'm going to make that move. But when you did that, you made that decision, and then the dominoes started to fall, and you started to experience the consequences of that decision you realized, wow, that was a huge mistake. Do we have any of those in this room? Like me? Yeah, yeah, people are raising their hands. Like, yeah, absolutely. I got dozens of those. Let, let me maybe ask it in a different way. Were you ever on the edge of a decision, on the edge of making some plans for your life, something that you knew would make you happy, that you knew would make your life better, but then at the last minute, Something shifted and changed, and it didn't work out. He decided he wants to date your friend. She left you at the altar. The money didn't come through, and the deal crashed. The house didn't sell, and the job fell through. What you knew was going to make you happy didn't happen, and you were angry. You were so frustrated. And maybe you were even frustrated with God for not coming through for you. God, where were you? But six months down the road, maybe even a year down the road, you started to experience the consequences of what would have happened if that would have worked out, what you might have missed out on. And you realized, I am so glad that that didn't happen. I actually dodged a bullet there. Do we have any of those out there? Absolutely. We all have those as well. Let's bring it in. We're family here. Let's bring it in. Here's what we've just all admitted to one another. We don't know what's best for us. We don't always know, even if we think that we do. James, the book of James, the writer, James, he wants to help us out 
with this. There's a simple truth that he wants us to wrap our minds around, wrap our lives around, maybe even wrap our heart around, that if we grab a hold of it, this has the potential to completely change our lives. There's a saying, there's words that I think James wants going through our mind when you walk out of the auditorium today or when you close your laptop or turn off your phone. He wants this going through your mind today. God's plan for me is better than my plan for me. God's plan for me is better than my plan for me. In this series of the book of James that we're calling Faith That Works, James has been walking through lots of different aspects of our life, and he's telling us if we have genuine faith, it's going to work its way out into how we live our life. And is there anything more practical than making decisions, making plans, setting a direction, setting our future, setting goals? So practical. James is going to make his case. But here's the case that I believe he's going to make is that if you're going to do this well, there's three things that you cannot, you cannot forget. One is don't forget, you are limited. Don't forget, God is limitless. And don't forget the one who was forgotten. First one, you are limited. We can't forget that. Here's where James takes us in this section, James chapter four, starting in verse 13. This is God's word for us today. James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James wants us to understand this simple truth, you don't know what the future's gonna hold. And even more than that, you have no ability to control all the things that are gonna happen in the future. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you've got a pretty good idea of the things that are gonna happen in your life. In fact, you might be saying, no, 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 Bob, you don't understand. I've got a Google calendar, and it looks like this, and it tells me this is what's gonna happen this week. These are the things that are going to happen. In fact, there's even notifications to let me know when they are going to happen. Ten minutes out, I know what's going to happen. And James is saying, no, you don't know. I don't know. I don't know for sure that God's going to give me heartbeats and breaths to be able to finish this sermon today. God could take me home. Now, I I know what I kind of have in my mind for the day. I'm going to finish preaching this sermon. We're going to get things cleaned up around here. I'll go in my office, probably relax for a little bit. I'm going to go hang out with some friends. We're going to go climbing this afternoon, right? Lord willing, that's what we're going to do. Hang out with my family tonight. Those are the things that are on the docket for me, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future, and neither do you. Because here's what all of us have experienced in one way or another. This thing that is in your pocket could go off at any time while we're sitting here. And there will be a message, there will be an email that can completely turn your world upside down and completely change the direction of your life. Things that you were completely unaware of, unexpected. A message that says, we're sorry. The test came back positive. 
message that says, you didn't get the job. You didn't make it into that school. Message that says, I'm sorry, we're downsizing. A message that says, there's someone else. It's not me, it's you. Or it's not you, it's me. But there's someone else. I don't want to be married anymore. We're sorry to say they're not going to make it. You don't know what's going to happen. And neither do I. And what James is trying to do is he's putting his finger on that in our life. He's showing us that really uncomfortable truth. That when it relates to our future, we really don't know what's going to happen. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you believe the things that he's shared with us in the scripture, you know a million years from now what's gonna happen. God's talked a lot about what he has prepared for us. But you don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. God said way more about what's gonna happen for all of eternity than he said about your tomorrow. If we're honest, we walk most days in the dark. So, so what does that mean? Does that, is James trying to say, well, 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 don't plan. Why even bother planning? Do we just keep our PJs on all day and just kind of see what happens? No, that's, that, that's not what James is trying to help us understand. He's trying to say there's planning that happens in our life, but it's how we do the planning in our life. How do we plan with a heart of wisdom? Proverbs says so much about the wisdom of planning. Proverbs 16, nine says this. He says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, meaning there's kind of a general direction that I seem to be heading in life. But the writer says this, but the Lord establishes their steps. There's a general direction out there, but the writer wants us to know that each step belongs to God, that we would involve him in the planning process. Because his plans for me are better than my plans for me. And so each step, moment by moment, God, what is the next step for me? And I take it. God, what is the next step for me? And I take it. It's kind of like this picture I get in my mind when I think about what it's like driving a car at night. Your, your, Your headlights only go so far out in front of you. You can see enough to know what the next move is, but that's it. It's like when the psalmist says in 119, 105, your word, meaning your voice to me, God, is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. It shows us the next step, but we don't know anything more than what the very next step is that God wants us to take. One step at a time. We live in continual reference to God. James wants us to understand that we're limited. We're limited in our knowledge about the future and we're, ni- we're limited in our power to do anything, to control the future. But he also says you're limited in your time. I wanna remind you what I said at the very end of verse 14. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. I want to show you, I think, maybe my favorite Christmas present this year. My daughter got me this, an essential oil diffuser. Got to love that. This is the picture that James wants us to have when we're thinking about our life. It's like a mist. It emerges from the diffuser, but instantly it's gone. It just 
dissipates. It was here and now it's gone. This is peppermint in here, by the way. And I didn't get COVID this year, so I think there's something about peppermint as a COVID killer. James wants us to understand your life is short. You don't have much time. And this one life that you've got, you've got one shot to make a difference. One shot to engage with God in this world. And so what James wants us to do is when we start to think about our life, that we're not just focused on the years that we have here on this earth, but that we would actually step back and kind of start to see our life in light of all of eternity. Living life with an eternal perspective. This world is not gonna encourage you to live with an eternal perspective. This world, our culture around us, is gonna say, live for you, live for now. This is all that there is. This mist, they think, is the only thing that matters. This is all that we have. So make your plans. You do you. You do the things that you wanna do. Acquire your possessions. Build your portfolio. It's kind of this mindset that whoever dies with the most toys wins. That's what our culture is gonna tell us. But James is saying, no, that's not true. Don't see your life that way. You've got to see that the decisions that you're making in this life, the plans that you're making in this life have ripple effects into eternity. And you need to plan in a way today that keeps eternity in mind. Your time is limited. James wants us to understand we're not gonna be here forever. And so if we just plan around just our time here, we're gonna keep our mind just focused on material things and miss the spiritual world and the things that God wants to do in and through our life, worldly things. I think as a culture, and I think even as the church, we do a really poor job at this, thinking about our lives in light of eternity. A couple of pieces of evidence that I wanna give as I was reflecting on this, How would I argue the case that we don't do this well? One, I would say midlife crisis. Have you ever heard of a midlife crisis? It's almost become cliche in our culture. What is a midlife crisis? It's this idea that we get to somewhere around halfway through our life and we start to look at, we don't have as much left as we thought and we're looking back on where we've come and we think, I have tons of regret. I'm looking at the decisions that I've made, the things that I chose to do, the things that I didn't do. And maybe even in life, I've climbed the ladder of success, but at midlife, we get to this place and we realize, I think my ladder is leaning on the wrong wall. Midlife crisis. Because then it's like, what am I gonna do? for the? If this life is it, what am I gonna do for the rest of it? Midlife crisis. Let me just talk to the young people. For a second, I'm not a young person anymore, but I love that our church is full of them. Decide now what matters most. Take the time to think through in light of all of eternity. Assuming you're a follower of Jesus and you wanna spend eternity with him, what's gonna matter then? The Bible helps us out. There's not a lot of things that are gonna matter for all of eternity. The things that are gonna last forever, the Bible tells us, One, God lasts forever. Secondly, 
His word lasts forever. His revelation of himself to us will last forever. And people, people last forever. So if you're trying to evaluate, how do I spend my time in terms of things that are gonna matter beyond this life? Think God, surrendering your life to him, making him the boss of your life. Think about his word, allowing his voice to be the primary voice speaking into your life. And think about people, caring and loving for people. They're gonna last forever. Decide now what matters most. Second thing, second evidence that I have that I don't think we do a good job is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. This is this kind of unhealthy preoccupation with the future. There's a realization with worry that we know that we don't know what the future holds and we also know that we can't control the future. But instead of leaning in with God and his plans, we just get anxious. It's a picture of us being so dependent on ourselves and our own wisdom and our own power that it causes deep anxiety. It's just a realization of the uncertainty of this life because we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. That's what James wants us to understand. It doesn't matter if we're limited in our knowledge and our power, if we're limited in our time, if our life is leaned on him, leaning into him, then his plan for us is gonna be better than our plan for us. Because number two, God is limitless. We may be limited, but we've got, we can never forget that God is limitless. James chapter four, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and such boasting is evil. See, James is making that simple contrast with that first couple verses I read to you. That we're talking about you making your plans for your life versus God being the one, his will being the one that is the driving source of the plans in your life. One says, I'm gonna do this. And one says, God, you're gonna do this. And James, throughout this whole book, everything that he's trying to teach us, he just throws down and he calls it exactly what it is. He said, when we live our life like that, elevating our will over God's will, he says, it is arrogant. And I think he's right. If there is a God of the universe that made everything that we see, that made me, that made you, that understands how everything works. How arrogant is it of us to turn our back on him and say, God, you do you, I'm gonna do me. I got this. How arrogant is, that, is it for us to say that to God? And this idea of arrogance and pride, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I do not think you can find a sin in the Bible that is more loathsome to God than arrogance toward him. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I said a couple of weeks ago, God doesn't want to hurt your pride. He wants to kill it because it kills your relationship with him. It turns you away from him. But he doesn't just stop at calling this kind of behavior, this kind of posture arrogant. He says it's evil. 
Seems like a strong word. What is the evil that James is talking about? It's just simply this, doing your life without reference to God. A simple way to say it is just forgetting about God. If you go back through the Old Testament and you read the prophets that spoke out against the nation of Israel, one of the number one sins that they talked about over and over was simply forgetting God. Losing your sense of reference and relationship to him. I just want to read one picture because I think it's a, a, a helpful picture to think about. When the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying against the nation of Israel about this great sin of forgetting God, here's what he said in 232. He has this imagery of this young maiden bride. He says, does a young woman forget her jewelry? Does a bride, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. That's what God calls evil, simply forgetting him. A picture of a, of, a, of a maiden at a wedding, a bride. I've done a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of them. There has never been one wedding where the bride shows up and walks down the aisle in her street clothes, no makeup, no jewelry, and kind of just like, ah, I just forgot. I just kind of forgot to get ready. No, she's been thinking about it. The person that, she, that is waiting for her at the front, she's thinking about it on the forefront of her mind. And that's what God calls us to do. To love him means that we honor him. He's on the forefront of our mind. Think about the people that you love. Your mind is captivated by them. You can, it's hard to even think about someone else. You're thinking about them all the time. That's what God wants. That's what it means to love him. And I've, and I've said this before multiple times. The opposite of love to God is not hate. The opposite of love is forgetting. The opposite of love is indifference, ignoring, treating someone as if they're irrelevant, treating God as if he's irrelevant, treating him as if he doesn't matter. That's the opposite of love. I love how this unfolds in the book of Psalms. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, he was considered a man after God's own heart. He loved God. But if, if you just take some time reading through his prayers to God that are recorded in Holy Scripture, he is angry with God. He is frustrated with God. Sometimes it's like he's shaking his fist at God, questioning God. Sometimes he even feels betrayed by God. But did David love God? Absolutely. God can handle that. He can handle us shaking our fist at him. He can handle us being frustrated with him. What he can't handle, what he considers evil, is forgetting him. Acting like he doesn't matter. And it's arrogant. It's arrogant for us to think about the God of the universe to turn our back on him and forget him. And when we turn our back on God and we forget him, we miss out. We miss out on so much that God wants to do in our life and through our life. It's when we forget God that we don't get to be the recipient of that truth that his plans for us are better than our plans for us. We miss it. Here's how James describes how we miss it. He says, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do 
and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It's a little different take on sin. Oftentimes we, we think about sin, we think about things that we do. But James is saying this is different. This isn't a sin that you commit, a sin of commission. This is a sin of omission. This is a sin that is evil in the eyes of God, but it is simply doing nothing. Just going with the flow. It's kind of the you do you. I got this, God. I think this is prevalent in the church. I think it's prevalent in my own life. I think about all the times that I say something along the lines of, I know I should be doing blank. Then I follow it with some kind of excuse, but I I just don't have time. I just don't have the energy. I I I don't wanna invest my money in that. I know that I probably should do that. James is saying the sin of omission, do the things that God asks us to do. But I think the things that James is pushing on for us is that if we don't plan with God in mind, we just fill our schedule with all the things of this life, we don't have margin to do the things that God wants us to do. There's no white space in our life. That's why so many times, even when there's an offer of a ministry opportunity for people, their just knee-jerk reaction is, I don't have time. I do the exact same thing. I was, just, I was just thinking about how this has become so much a part of our culture. I grew up in a little town called Shepherd, Montana. I've talked about it a little bit before. One of the unique things about my high school, maybe not a great thing, but certainly a unique thing, is right next to the high school was a feedlot, a cattle feedlot, acres and acres of pens full of thousands of cows, thousands of cows producing what cows produce. And there were these big silage pits, fermenting silage out there. So imagine all this manure, all this fermenting silage right next to our high school. It stunk so bad. But you know what? You live there long enough, you don't even smell it. You don't even smell it. You don't even notice it. Remember the owner of the feedlot, he would always just say, Just smells like money to me. But if you live in it, you just don't notice it. It wasn't until someone came from another town. It's like, man, your town reeks. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Here's what I think James is trying to do here. He's talking to the churches that he's writing to. He's talking to us and our church. And I think they're dealing with the exact same things that we are. There's no margin in life. There's no listening. There's no willingness to say yes to the opportunities that God wants to provide. Our schedules are so packed that we don't even know what is a divine opportunity from just a worldly opportunity. We can't even discern it because we just say no to everything. If we had some white space in our life, would we give God the opportunity to veto things in our life? Would we give him the opportunity to disrupt our life, to interrupt, to be able to say, my plan for you is better than your plan for you. Here's my plan. We've got to create time if that's gonna be true for us. And we've gotta make time because God's plan for me is better than my plan for me. 
It's been interesting in this book of James, there's you know, different books of the Bible accomplish different things. There's some books that create some comfort in our life. Not James. James brings the challenge verse after verse after verse. But here's what James would want us to know. In the midst of that high challenge, we can never forget the one who was forgotten. If we focus on the book of James without focusing on his brother, Jesus, this book will crush you. It'll crush you. It's too hard. There's too many things. My life doesn't measure up. But James would say, you've got to remember my brother, the one who was forgotten for you. What do I mean he was forgotten for you? One of the last things that Jesus said as he was stretched out on the cross, he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? It was that moment when the father turned his back on the son. And in that moment, Jesus took upon himself our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, the death that we deserved to die. He took it upon himself and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? Jesus knew, though, exactly what he was doing. He knew what he was purchasing that day for you on the cross. He was willing to be forgotten for you so that God would never forget you. Jesus bought your life that day because he was forgotten. God won't forget you. And Jesus has no buyer's remorse. He did it willingly. He did it joyfully for the sake of being able to spend eternity with you. Why do I share all that? Because when we're in that place where we're wrestling through our future, we're wrestling through our plans in life, and we're wondering, God, can I really trust you? I know, God, that you know the future. You can control the future, and I can't, but can I really trust you? He says, remember James is saying, remember the one. Don't forget the one that was forgotten for you because when you look at the cross, when you look at what it was that Jesus did for you, you know for sure forever what God's heart is for you. God has your best interests in mind. You can trust him. And that's why we can say, even if it seems confusing, God, your plan for me is better than my plan for me. Last year in 2020, I set some goals at the beginning of the year. Just felt like there were some things in my life that I kind of wanted, kind of outside my normal job sphere that I wanted to challenge myself with. Um, I'm really glad I did because 2020 was pretty boring and would have been no challenge at all if I hadn't have done this. But one of the things that I decided I wanted to challenge myself with is I wanted to learn to climb, rock climb, just in the gym, but I wanted to learn to climb. I had some friends that spent a lot of time climbing, and I just thought, I want to go with them. I want to... And here's why this was such a challenge for me. There, there, there's a physical difficult aspect, yes, 
But for me, I am so afraid of heights. Like literally, I kid you not, and still to this day, I get nervous in my car driving to Spire. Like, like I'm just pitting out in my car, just thinking about having to go up to the top of that ceiling. I was so afraid. So I get there, I'm with my friends, they're helping me, they're teaching me kind of all the things that you need to know, the things that you need to say, all of the safety things, on belay, belay on, climbing, climb on, all those things. But then I had to climb up the wall. But here's what happened to me. I, I, I really started to kind of focus just on the physical aspect of it. Like how, how do I get up this wall, hand over hand, foot over foot, making my way up the wall? I totally lost track in my mind that every time I do this, the ground is getting further and further away from me. Well, when you get to the top of the wall, what you do is you tell the person that's got you in their hand, on the rope, on belay, you tell them, take. And then they yell back to you, I got you. And then you give them your weight and they lower you down. Well, I get to the top of this route, pretty excited about that, holding on at the top. And I say, take, but then I turned around and I looked. And that was all she wrote. My hands just gripped and I could not, I, I could not get them to let go. My friend that was down at the bottom, Abby, just kept saying, I got you. <laughs> I'm like, I know, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I'm looking at my hands. Everything in my brain is saying, just let go, just let go. I don't know how long I was up there. It seemed like forever. But ultimately, I got to the place where I was able to just let go and let her take the full weight of my life on the rope. I don't think there's a better picture of what it means to follow Jesus with your life. I think that's what James is talking about. He's asking us, are you willing to say, take to Jesus and let go of your own plans, let go of your own life and say, my life belongs to you. Jesus, take all my time, Jesus, take. It's yours. You decide where my time goes. All the talents, all the gifts and abilities you've given me, Jesus, they're yours. Take. They belong to you. All the money and possessions that I have in this life, Jesus, they're yours. How do you want to use them? Jesus, take. All my plans, all the things that I want to do with my life, Jesus, what is it that you want to do with my life? Take. I'm all yours. Give him the full weight of your life. I promise you this. God will take full responsibility for any life that is fully surrendered to him. Any life that says, take, I belong to you. Maybe you've said take in some way. Maybe you've said, Jesus, I want you to I want you to take my sin. I want you to take my guilt. I want you to take my shame. I want you to take that death that you paid in my place. But I want my plans. I got this. I want to be the boss of this. And James would say, that's not the offer. That's not the offer of the gospel. It's a free offer. But it's like, Jesus, you're my savior, but you're also my Lord. Take everything in my life belongs to you. Here's how the apostle Paul said take in Galatians 2.20. He 
He says, I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on that cross, Paul is saying, I died with him to myself. I told Jesus, take. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life we live. The life of following Jesus, it's a life that says, take all of me, the full weight of my life. And God will take full responsibility, friends, for any life that is fully surrendered to him. I wanna give you a challenge today. I want you to just ask God a simple question. The question is simple in the sense that it's not complex, but I'm gonna tell you this, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to ask God this question and really mean it and really want his answer, but the question is simply this, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? I hold it up to you. I give you veto power on any plan in my life. I give you the right and the authority that belongs to you to interrupt or disrupt any aspect of my life. It belongs to you, God, take it. You are in charge. It's a dangerous question. You know what I think is a more dangerous thing? To not ask it. Because God's plans for you are better. They're better than your plans for you. Let's pray. Lord, what do you want us to do with our lives? God, we want to throw our arms wide open and we want to say, take. God, thank you that you're a God, that your response every time we say take is, I got you. I got you. Lord, we trust you. God, show us the ways that we've got a death grip on our plans and we're unwilling to surrender to you. God, show us. We give our lives to you today. And Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.